Well, we are finishing something beautiful, our Luke series for the year 2017 today. And everyone gave a cheer. Hooray. And there were some sad people. Oh, good. You did your part well. Uh, We are... We're at the end of, we're finishing chapter 13 today, so we're not all the way through, but we're going to stop and we're going to move into an Advent series for the month of December, and that's like anticipating Christmas and the coming of Jesus. We get to celebrate that and enjoy it, and so we build anticipation as we um, think upon it and talk about it and reflect on it. Um, In our Luke series, Jesus has been talking about repentance and the kingdom, He's been, uh, he healed and he set free a woman in chapter 13 or a few weeks ago. We talked about it and she was hunched over and Jesus set her free. He healed her. And he's also answered a burning question we talked about last week. This burning question about the salvation of the world. And Jesus gave a personal challenge to respond to the invitation of Jesus. Now today's story reminded me of something, um, a favorite book in our house. And the favorite book in our house is Miriam's favorite story, and it's the story of Henny Penny. I don't know if you know the story of Henny Penny, but it is well recited at our house. The story of Henny Penny is that Henny Penny is this chicken. She's in the farmyard, and an acorn falls on her head, and then she's like shocked. And she, so she goes and gets a frying pan and puts the frying pan on her head, and she says, the, the world must be falling. Oh no, and, or the sky's falling. And so I'm going to go tell the king. And so she goes off to tell the king and she runs into Clocky Locky. And Clocky Locky's a friend of hers in the farmyard. And Clocky Locky puts a frying pan on his head and he joins her. And then they run into Ducky Lucky. And then he puts a frying pan and they join. And then they run into Turkey Lurkey. Are you catching the, the rhythm of this story? And so Turkey Lurkey joins in and they eventually run into Foxy Loxy because everyone needs a rhyming name. In the story, Foxy Loxy, and Foxy Loxy says, here's the shortcut to the king's palace. Just go in this hole. And Henny Penny and all of her friends go into the hole, and the next picture is the king riding by, and the fox is sitting there with a big belly. And the end of the story is that Foxy Loxy gets a good meal out of the deal. You're like, this is a kid's story. This is Miriam's favorite story. Like, does it bother you that all of your favorite people in this story get eaten? No, it doesn't seem to bother her at all. This is how kids' stories work, I guess. Today, Jesus isn't talking about the sky falling, but it is a little bit of the farmyard. We get a little bit of farmyard today. There's a hen and there's a fox, and yet there's a very different outcome than Henny Penny's sad and sordid tale, which you'll see if you turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, and we will, t- together we will wrap up the end of chapter 13. This is what, uh, what it says in Luke chapter 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should per- perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. 
Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until I say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's word. My big idea this morning is this, that Jesus longs to gather us under his saving wings, but we're not always willing. We're not always willing. This morning's passage talks about the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had anyone who wanted to kill me. That's not been my experience. It's not a situation. I had people who said, I want to kill you. Or I'm going to kill you, and they chase me around, but they weren't actually going to kill me. I didn't, I've never had a death threat, a real death threat, like Canaan spies who are lowered out of the building, out of the walls, or the Apostle Paul who's lowered out of a basket because people are trying to kill him, or like King David, or the prophet Elijah who had to run and hide in caves because people wanted to kill them with an actual sword. Or like Peter, dragged in front of the high priest in the council, and when he's talking, he knows his life is on the line because these people want him dead. I'm not sure what I'd do with a death threat. If I got one, opened it up, would I skip town? Would I go on a vacation in Mexico or somewhere? I'm not telling you where I go. But go run off and hide. What would I do if someone was trying to kill me? Maybe I'd pull back fewer public appearances. Watch, get some, get some secret service up on the balcony up there, if I'm speaking. What would I do? What does Jesus do? He calls him names. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Go tell that foxy loxy, get out of here. You're like, what? What? He could kill you. This is Herod. The Herods are not good, right? We've, we've heard of that. I love Jesus' disdain. But more than that, I love that he's on this mission that he doesn't, we won't deviate from. He's committed to the Google God calendar. That God has set out things and Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. And if they happen to line up with what Herod wants or doesn't want, I don't really care. This is Jesus. He says, behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Jesus is on a mission. He's mentioned it before and he's going to say it again. He's on a mission. There's a reason Jesus is here. There's something that a purpose he wants to accomplish and that he's going to accomplish. And he moves in accordance with God's timetable, not external circumstances, which is not usually the case for us. Most often for us, we move by external circumstances. Oh, I have to do this now. It's on fire. Oh my goodness, I got to do this. Oh, this is okay. Okay, now I got to do this. Oh, and it's all external. It's directing us. Jesus has an internal calendar that is moving him forward. One of the Bible commentators says, but Jesus, in fact, would leave Galilee, not because he was afraid of Herod, but because he was moving according to a divine schedule. That's the picture. Jesus says, well, I do have to leave Galilee, but I'm not doing it because you told me to. I'm doing it because I have my own schedule that I'm following from God. The very first time Jesus gets up and he says anything publicly in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, and we talk about it a lot because it's our Jubilee declaration passage, which we love. But Jesus gets up and he quotes Isaiah and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And Jesus is faithful to his mission. Daily, he's doing this. Setting people free, proclaiming the good news, living on mission. And over his whole life, he's also focused on this end. Three days. You can't really read Luke and not catch the significance of the three days. The beginning, up at the beginning of Luke, Jesus, his family goes when he's young. They all go to visit Jerusalem, which is the thing you do. You go worship, you sacrifice, and then you go home. And so they'd all go together in a big group. It's like all the kids running around. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's in that group. Okay, awesome. And they went up to Jerusalem, and then they left Jerusalem. And as they left, they were like, okay, where's Jesus? Oh, yeah, all the boys are over there. Yeah, he's probably with those kids his age. Yeah, okay. And they're chatting, and they stop for one night, and they go for another day. And then they realize. Jesus, he's not with that, that family or that. Where's Jesus? He's still in, he's still in Jerusalem. We left Jesus. <gasps> this is not going to look good in the Bible someday. And so they rush back. Like, oh my goodness, this is going to be recorded forever. And so they rush back and Jesus, where is he? Where is he? We look around. Jesus is in the temple. And when they say, Jesus, what are you doing? You nearly gave your mother a heart attack. Jesus says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Three days. And many of you will know the story at the end where Jesus dies and he's in the tomb and on the third day he rises. This is the mission of Jesus. He will live for the father's purpose and he's going to die to fulfill the father's plan. So what does it mean that Jesus is faithful to me? How does it affect my life right now that Jesus is faithful? I'll tell you, I thought of three things. There's probably lots more. The first one is that Jesus always calls the shots. Jesus always calls the shots. Now, this week, I had a flood in my basement. I went down on Sunday evening, my favorite day to deal with floods in my basement. I went downstairs. Actually, I went downstairs to the screaming of my wife and Lauren. And so I went down, and there she was screaming, oh, my goodness. She was like tile surfing on some of our rubber mats. And there's about two inches, maybe a little bit more than that, of water in the part of the basement. So I was like, ah! I started running around like crazy. And oh my goodness. And in that moment, when I'm running around like crazy and my face is flooded, it doesn't feel like Jesus is calling the shots. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't feel that way at all. And the truth is, sometimes it seems like he is like when he's calling Herod names. Hey, I tell that old fox, and you're like, Jesus, yeah, you tell Herod. You're calling the shots. But in Gethsemane, when the soldiers come with the swords and the torches, and his friend betrays him, and they drag him off, it doesn't feel that way all the time. But the truth is that Jesus is always calling the shots. Jesus is always doing what the Father is doing without fail, which is why we can say he's perfect. He's always doing what the Father's doing. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says this about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That sounds like someone who's calling the shots. The second thing the faithfulness of Jesus does in my life or that how it affects my life is that Jesus is always on schedule. Jesus is always on schedule. We had a situation recently where Lauren really wanted our whole family to go to Rebecca Dugan's play. 
and she was doing this play in Abbotsford. And so she was really excited. She said, I think we should all do this. And I've researched it and here's the stuff. And I was financially reluctant is the technical term for it. I said, well, that's, that's a lot of money, more money than I think we should do that. And she said, no, we should do it. No, we shouldn't. No, we... And then we said, so then we're like, oh, what do we do? And she said, I'm going to pray. I was like, okay, <laughs> you pray then. She didn't say it like that. She always says everything, I'm going to pray. <laughs> so always like, sounds angelic whenever Lauren talks. And so she said, I'm going to pray. And I was like, oh, fine, I'm the pastor, I don't care. I'm gonna, you just go do whatever you want. And so she started praying, and so the weeks went by, or it was a few weeks till the play, and I was like, well, nothing's happening. She was like, well, maybe I could take Miriam or Mayel and, and Gabe, and um, my mom was going to take um, Maddie, and so, you know, it was like, okay, maybe this could work. And I was like, I don't know, I'm not seeing the money rolling in here. And then suddenly, like a few days before, my dad calls, and he's like, hey, I just was thinking, like, I'd love to take Gabe to that play. So we have five kids, if you didn't know that. You're like, that's a lot of names. So my dad says, can I take Gabe? And I said, sure, actually, that'd be really awesome. Wow, that's like, that's a big group of our family going to this play. And maybe then Lauren, and, so I said, yeah, and actually Lauren and Mayel were going to go. And, and my dad said, hey, well, I want to buy their tickets too. And then he says, I love this dad thing. Is that Okay. I'm like, you want to buy my family tickets to the play? My wife's been praying that we would be provided for her to go to the play. No, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. They are, especially this grandpa. You know what the problem is, though? I'm like, God, why do you take so long? Why couldn't you answer that when she prayed, then just right the next day, and then we could have planned better? We could have planned that whole thing. We, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have worried about it all that time. Why is it so last minute? It seems last minute to me. Then I have to trust you. Like, that's really annoying. I just want to know it all laid out. The truth is that Jesus always moves to the Father's schedule, to the kingdom schedule, the Father's timetable. That's how Jesus is moving all the time. And the third thing the faithfulness of Jesus does for me and for you is that Jesus is always going to win. Jesus is always going to win. I turned 40 on October 31st, and since I turned 40 and a little bit before, I kind of had fallen off the exercise bandwagon. This is like truth talk now, okay? You can't hold me to anything I say next. And I realized I was also getting a little bit, I was gaining some pounds, so I know I'm not like hugely overweight, but I was like, I was a little more than I used to be, and so I was like, now I'm 40, and I know this gets harder, and so I need to I'm going to set a plan. And so I set my plan. I'm going to eat better. Enough of this bad eating. I'm going to get back on the exercise bandwagon. I'm going to be swimming again. This is going to be so good. And then I failed to execute my plan. Failed completely to execute my plan. In fact, what invaded my plan was Halloween candy in my house, which is totally unfair, but it ruined everything. But you know what? You know what's good news? Jesus is not you and me trying to execute his plan. Jesus never fails to execute his plan. He always wins the day. Ephesians 1, 20 to 22 says about God. God raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put 
some things, just a few things, a few little things under his feet. All things. I'm, if you're listening to me, that's not true. It's not true. He put all things under his feet. This sounds like Jesus is going to win the day. The second thing we see about Jesus is his heart, his love. There's a story about that Catherine Marshall tells, and it's of this king, and he commissions these two painters to paint pictures for him. And he wants a picture for his study room where he wants to be at peace. And so he says, I want a picture of peace. And so he gets the two most renowned painters. He says, paint me a picture of peace, and I'm going to pick the best one. And so they go off, and they're gone for months, and they're working away on their masterpieces. And then the king says, ding, ding, okay, time's up. And so they come, and they've got the, you know, covers on their paintings. And so he goes over to the first one, and he pulls it out. Whoa, it's beautiful. It is like the picture of stillness. He says, I don't know how you captured stillness, but there's this mountain and and the lake, and it's all reflected, crystal, just still, like nothing is moving. He says, wow, this is peace. And then he's like, okay, well, there's another guy. I should give him a chance too. So he goes over, pulls back, and he's like, whoa, oh my goodness. And right away, he's like, oh, I feel bad for this painter. He must have got confused about what we were doing. Because this painting is the opposite of that painting. It's like a storm and there's wind. If you could like draw wind sounds and it was like, and there's lightning and there's like a crowd. The middle of this painting is a waterfall. There's like water everywhere in the picture. It's like spraying you. And then there was like mountain crags. It's like rocks and dark. And it's like, this is picture of total chaos. And the king is like, what on earth is wrong with this guy? He must, and then suddenly he looks and he sees down near the waterfall, in the rocks, in, a, in one of the crevices, there's this tree branch, this like gnarled tree branch. And on the branch is a nest. And in the nest is a bird. And the bird is sitting on her nest in perfect peace. And the king says, wow, actually, I'm going to go with this one. And this is what he says, peace does not mean to be in a place where there's no noise, trouble, or hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all these things and to still be calm in your heart. And there is a peace that baffles us. It's, it's weird, this kind of peace. It doesn't make sense because it doesn't come from situations or circumstances, but it comes from the heart of God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there's a peace for troubled hearts, for troubled times. There's a peace that's available for grieving mothers, grieving widows and grieving mothers, to fatherless children and fathers without children, to families in financial crisis, to the woman desperately wanting a soulmate, to the man, old man who just lost his. It's available to those who feel lost and alone and who are struggling in the dark. There is a peace for your soul. So what is our problem? What's our problem? If this peace is available, why don't I have it all the time? Why can't I experience it? Why don't we experience him? This is what Jesus says. How often would I have gathered your children together 
as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. This picture of the bird, and in the Greek it's a, it's a bird. It doesn't, it's not necessarily a hen, but it's this word that is pictured with the hen and her brood. But this bird, and it's a common Old Testament image of God's peace and protection. It's in lots of places. Deuteronomy 32, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, Psalms chapter 17, verse 8, Psalm 36, 7, Psalm 91, 4, Isaiah 31, 5. Like, it's a lot of places. This picture of God and his wings and gathering us, protecting us. And the, Jesus says that it's his heart to gather us, to protect us and cover us. The gentle knocking. I'm knocking on the door. We open the door. I'll come in with you. The invitations to the feast. I invited, I invited, I invited. Won't you come to the feast? But you are not willing. I was not willing. And this also is an Old Testament, common Old Testament thing that happens. God says, I love you. And they said, ah, we're not sure. I want you to be my people. No, we don't know. And over and over and over, God's drawing people and they're not willing. See, Jerusalem was the center of religious life for the Jews. The ark was there, or the temple was there with the ark, the presence of God, the sacrifices are made there, the pilgrimage, everyone's going up to the temple. Let's sing our ascent psalms. Da, 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 da. We go, everyone goes, proclaim, let's all go together. It's a big party. We're going up to the temple. It's like a big part of our life, our worship, our following God. This was. If, if there was any physical place on earth that the Son of God should be worshipped and celebrated and welcomed, it should be Jerusalem. And the very people who seemed like they would be most eager to welcome Jesus became unwilling. Some of them. Some of them welcomed him and were excited, and some of them were unwilling. I was at a retreat, a pastor retreat, and the speaker said, um, nothing kills intimacy with God more than ministry for God. And I was like, Pfft. I should say that again, just so you can hear. Nothing kills intimacy with God more than ministry for God. I was like, that's dumb. Who said that? That's weird. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, hmm, that kind of feels like it could be true. And this has been my experience as I stepped into church planting, as we like invested ourselves in this ministry. I work very hard for Jesus, trying to live his mission, trying to build his church, trying to share his love, trying to be faithful, trying to please him. And this week I felt empty and dry. And as I went to prepare my sermon, I even felt angry. I have nothing more to say about any of this. And this is a weird passage about a bird and Jerusalem. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to say anything. There's nothing to say here. We're not sharing Sunday. I don't, know, I don't know. And I felt like Jesus said, read the passage again. Like, no, I just read it. It's weird. I'm angry with you. Why won't you meet me? I'm doing all this stuff for you. Why won't you help me in my work? And Jesus says, read the passage again. Although we know Jesus, and we love Jesus, we can become unwilling to be gathered. We can become unwilling. If you've been around church for a long time, you might relate a little bit to that. 
You know, we come to faith and we have all of our mess, our sinful habits, our fleshly failings, our anger and lust and pride and jealousy and insecurity. And we're saved. Jesus forgives us at the cross. Hallelujah. And I say it over and over. Hallelujah. And we tell everyone, this is so great. This is so awesome. And then as the years go by, we are supposed to be changed. We're supposed to be changed. And the shame comes when things don't happen as quickly as I'd like it to. When I'm messier than I'd like to be. Or I'm weaker than I'd like to be. And so I hide my real self. I'm going to make a John that's on a good trajectory. He's, he's being changed really fast, that John. And that's the John I'm going to put out in front of everyone. And maybe this, the real John will catch up to that John. If I can just get him going faster. And we do this, we create imposters of ourselves in our Christian life together. Brennan Manning says this, Our false self stubbornly blinds each of us to the light and the truth of our emptiness and our hollowness. We cannot acknowledge the darkness within. On the contrary, the imposter proclaims his darkness as the most luminous light, varnishing truth and distorting reality. The beautiful invitation of Jesus is to be gathered the way we are under his wings. To be saved, we have to acknowledge that we need him, that we are frail, that we have failures. And we have to see ourselves the way we truly are in order to embrace our Savior. In order to respond when Jesus says things like in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the third thing we see in this story is the compassion of Jesus, but maybe a little differently than um, we think of compassion. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus and his entourage, we've talked about it because it was in Luke chapter 10, and we've preached on it. That was quite a while ago now. But it's the story where Jesus visits Mary and Martha. And so he's got all these people going with him, this troop, you know, all these disciples and their friend, family, and all these people. And they all go in, they go places. It's like a big crowd. And so they're like going to Bethany. And so they probably send someone ahead and it's like, hey, Martha, you're friends with Jesus and Mary who lives with them and their brother Lazarus. And they say, hey, Jesus is coming with everyone. And Middle Eastern hospitality, Jewish hospitality meant you should give all these people a meal and make sure they have somewhere to sleep. So the, probably the whole town is tapped. You know, hey, can we some, we need more food. Okay, yeah, we need more. Oh, they're coming. They're showing up and they're in the house. Okay, wow. And so Martha's running around like mad. She's trying to be hospitable and provide a meal and do all these things and get it all ready. And then Mary, hey, Mary, here, do this. Okay, Mary, do that. Yeah, you're awesome, Mary. And Mary's going back and forth through the room where Jesus is sitting and Jesus is telling these incredible stories, parables, and he's saying these amazing things. And every time Mary goes through, I'm sure she was like, I just want to hear more of what Jesus is saying until finally she's like, forget it. I'm just going to sit. And she just plops herself right there in the room until Martha's like, I haven't seen Mary for a while. Have you seen Mary? Where's Mary? We got, we've got the meals. It's almost burning. She goes in, she sees Mary sitting there and she goes over and she says, Lord, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all this on my own? My sister's supposed to be helping me. Don't you care? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
Jesus, I'm busy with stuff. I'm busy with stuff, Jesus. Stuff for you and stuff for me. Busy work, spiritual stuff. This is me being busy. Church stuff, me stuff, things that I'm called to do, things you told me to do, things I need to do, things that are expected of me. Don't you care, Jesus? Why won't you help me with my work? And I hear his voice, Jonathan, Jonathan. It's always the two times. Jonathan, Jonathan, how often would I have gathered you, but you were unwilling? Makes me think of the, the older brother in the story of the prodigal. He's out and the party's happening inside. His brother came home and the older brother's out there and finally the father comes out and he says, I have slaved for you all these years and I never got a party like you're throwing for him. And the father says, everything I have is yours. Everything is yours. What are you doing? Jonathan, Jonathan, how often have I longed to gather you, but you are not willing. Whenever he says your name twice, watch out. Watch out. Because the compassion of Jesus is to clarify my problem. That's what he's doing. Mar- Martha, Martha, Mary's chosen what's better. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times have I wanted to gather you, but you wouldn't. Make no mistake, Jesus is the Savior. The one they waited for and cried out for and longed for. Not the Roman conquering hero, but a throne that would never end. A kingdom that would never end. And our Savior is not helping me do my work. He wants my heart. All of it. And he wants your heart. He says, you won't see me again until you hear this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And right away I was like thinking about Palm Sunday because that's what they say on Palm Sunday. If you know that story, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and everyone's waving the palm branches and they throw them on the ground and they start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And that's why we sing Hosanna songs. Hosanna. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I read this. I thought, oh, that's Jesus's. He's prophetic. He's a prophet. He's saying what they're going to say when he comes back. But Jesus is quoting scripture just like they will be quoting scripture. The passage they're quoting is Psalm 118. This is what it says. Psalm 118. I'll give you a little context. Psalm 118 verse 19 to 26. This is what it says. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. We talking about gates or doors recently. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. That's Hosanna. Save us, Hosanna, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what they're saying. This is a psalm that is a proclamation of the Savior, of the Messiah. This is what they're saying. It's an open gate, a rescuer, a cornerstone. This is the picture of who they're calling to. 
Now, Miriam is my youngest daughter. She's four. And I don't know if it's because she's the youngest of five kids or she's the youngest or she's just who she is or personality, but like she knows she's cute, which is a big problem. And so she does the thing where she like, she does her big doe eyes and she like puts her lip out a little bit and then she cocks her head. She's like, please daddy. And it's like, it's just brutal. You're like, oh, you want more candy? Okay. You want to watch more TV? Okay. Oh, you're sorry. Hit your sister. Okay. 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 It's like, how, how do you deal with that? Don't be confused about the role of the Savior. He didn't come to give in to our doe-eyed requests. Oh, give me more candy, Jesus. Just, oh, you want more candy? Okay, here you go. Jesus is not giving us more candy because we want it. He didn't give his life on a bloody cross so that I could be a nice and good Christian. He didn't rise from death to give us a spirit living in us of timidity and fear. C.S. Lewis says this, For mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people, even here and now, and will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. But God became man to turn creatures into sons and daughters not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. Jesus is the true savior. He's not some kind of human conjured bobblehead. He's the real and living savior. And he won't settle for less than all of you and me. And he came to transform us into sons and daughters of the most high God. And once you invite him in, you give him permission to use everything in your life for his glory and his purpose. The good, the bad, the success, the suffering, the blessing, and the shadow. All of it he's using so that we would know him the most and that people around us would come to know him. So, in conclusion, Jesus longs to gather us under his saving wings, but we're not always willing. I started by telling you that story about Henny Penny, and I've used the pictures through the whole thing. And, um, you know, Henny Penny, so she, the knock on the head, and she gets all of her friends, she's panicked, clocky, locky, ducky, turkey, lurky, all that, and they go, and they end up going into the fox's lair, and they get killed. Now, here's the good news. Jesus is not Henny Penny. You and I are Henny Penny. We're Henny Penny. We're foolish. We're fearful. We're flighty. And left on our own, the acorns would fall, and we would gather all of our friends and drive them right into the fox's den, probably. That's what we tend to do. That's just what we're like. Thankfully, Jesus invites us to be gathered under his wings, safe from the falling sky, safe from our foolishness and our pride, if we are willing, if we're willing. The fox has been rendered impotent, defeated by Jesus, who gave himself for us. And Jesus is faithful. 
Jesus loves us too much to leave us how we are. And so the compassionate Savior gave himself so that we could be transformed. New creations. That's the beautiful picture and the beautiful story. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your heart is for us. That even as you would approach a city, you would, you would grieve in your heart over the lost over those who are unwilling to respond to your good invitation. And Jesus, I pray this morning that, that every heart, whether they've been a Christian for 50 years, or they just became a Christian, or they're not a Christian, there's someone who says, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know if I want to give my heart to this, Jesus. That all of us would be stirred to respond to your good invitation. That we could be gathered under your wings that we could experience your peace, your love, that we could experience freedom, that we could be made whole in your presence. Thank you that that's a long life journey, being made whole, and that you've called us to come as we are and to make the journey with you and with one another. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.